It's Labor Weekend. The sun's been out. You've been watching Instagram, being jealous of all those people that are away on holiday somewhere. Don't, don't look at me like that. I know you are. You're looking and going, man, that beach looks really nice. I, um, Cherie's up. Stone is up north of her dad. He's not doing too well. And, and then Lance decides he's going to do this fandangle dinner last night, sends her a photo of it, and she wants to know why he never cooks like that when she is, when she is home. You know, so I don't know about you, but I've seen some posts where I'm just like, man, that looks awesome. Friends of ours were at Cathedral Cove yesterday. I'm like, oh, that looks so amazing. It looks fantastic. And, and you know, and, and it's an interesting thing because there's these things on Instagram called influencers. Have you ever heard of an influencer? You know what an influencer is? Well, my message this morning, we've done I'm invited, we've done I'm invaluable. This morning is I'm influential. That you and I, every single one of us, are influencers. Why? Because the Bible says that we're called to be light in the world and show God's love day in, day out to those around us. And and I want us to come away from today with this one thing that you have no idea what one conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love might change someone's life. We have no idea what God can do with one word of encouragement, one expression of love, one smile, one thing that God can do to change somebody's life. We just have no idea what God can do with that. And the reason why we don't like the idea of being an influencer or being a person of influence is because I believe that our culture, the world around us, has hijacked the term influencer. So I decided to Google influencer. And then you know what Google defines an influencer as? As an individual who has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, or relationship with the audience. In other words, the world has reduced an influencer to somebody who has a whole lot of followers on social media, and they have an ability to affect people's purchasing just because everybody's following them. What a, what a sad state that influence has been reduced to purchase decisions because of how many followers somebody has on a social media account. And I find that hard to grasp. I find it confusing, confusing that we've reduced influencer to that because when I was growing up, teachers were influencers, yeah? My soccer coach was an influence on my life. Yeah, my parents were an influence on my life. Come on. It wasn't a celebrity, it was a youth leader that was a major influence in my life. It wasn't a celebrity that was an influencer, and many people would say that that's what an influencer is. It's a celebrity, it's a, it's a content creator, it's someone who has amassed a great number of followers on social media, and what I want to do with you this morning, hopefully, is I want us to reclaim the word influencer. And I want you to see yourself as an influencer. Why? Because we have no idea how our God could use one word of encouragement, one expression of love, one moment of a smile, one moment of faith to change someone's life. In Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus put it this way, said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, you are the salt of the earth. We know what salt does, yes? Salt purifies things. Salt preserves things and salt adds flavor. No matter how much Trinity tells me that I put too much salt on my food, the reality is I don't. I just like flavor. And last night when she made the mac and cheese, what did it need? Salt. Why? Because it lacked flavor. I proved my point. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, it's our job to purify, to preserve, and to flavor the world with Jesus. It says that you are a light of the world. In other words, you're shining. You're shining all the time. You are the light of the world. Everywhere you go, you're shining. You know, once we had somebody say to us that we should open our curtains because it's dark in here and we need to open up the curtains and let the light of Jesus in. I, I wanted to explain to the person that the light that comes in when we open up the curtains is sunlight, not sunlight. The light of the world that, she, that this person said that we should be, she didn't understand that the light of the world is what shines from within us not what front shines from around us. And the crazy thing about light is light just shines. It just, and you flick your, your light on at night, all these lights, see, they just shine. They don't do anything else. They don't cook your dinner. They don't clean up the yard. They just, lights just shine. They don't do anything else but shine. They don't talk to you. They don't communicate with you. They just shine. But what they do is they, is that darkness never overcomes light. All, all light does, it shines, and because light shines, darkness never overcomes it. Come on. You are the light of the world. In other words, you are the light of Christ, and as it shines out of you everywhere that you go, you just shine because the darkness can't overcome the light. Yeah? Jesus says, let your light shine before others. In other words, let your love influence people towards Jesus. Let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, as you just do you and what God's called you to do, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do that. If you just do what God has called you to do, then your light will shine in such a way that people will see the good deeds and they'll glorify our Father in heaven just because you're shining. And I think that we need to reclaim the true meaning of what it is to be an influencer. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not against modern day influencers and culture. I just have this problem that our current view of influence is, is based typically on somebody having a platform. I want, I want you to hear that. Our view, modern day view of an influencer is somebody that has a platform, be it social media or be it whatever. They have a platform. But I believe, believe that true, lasting influence never starts with a platform and always starts with people. 
that true influence doesn't happen on a platform. It happens in a conversation. It happens face to face. It happens with people that are just around us. It starts with people. And the good news is every single one of us know people. And every single one of us has people around us that come into contact with you every single day and you're called to be an influencer. I want you to think for just a moment, like who influenced you? Who influenced you? You know, I started thinking about the people that influenced me and sometimes you tend to think about all the big ones, yeah? All the big influences. Like my, my youth pastor, Steve, when I was a young guy, he was a major influence on my life. He helped me out tremendously. But there was my soccer coach, who I didn't really know that well, and I wouldn't have said he was a major influence on my life, but he was a stickler for turning up on time to practices. If you turn up late to practice, you didn't get to play on Saturday. Well, you could come off the bench. You didn't get to start on the team. And so he influenced me in such a way that I hate being late anywhere now. Yeah? Are you with me? And I used to hate it when my parents would make me late when I didn't have my own car because I hated being late and it was their fault, but the, but the coach would bench me because of my parents. He influenced me in such a way that, that that was really important. I had a, one conversation on a plane once which influenced me so much that changed our marriage. I don't even know the guy's name. I can't remember it. I'm sure he told me it. But he was a Fortune 500 company owner. And I remember just saying to him, what is the greatest investment I could ever make? And his response was this. It was good response, but not good at the same time, if this makes sense. The greatest investment you can make money-wise, he said, is into your wife. Because if you lose her, you lose half your assets. The first part of the advice was really, really good, right? The second part, not so good. But it made me think about how much do I invest into our marriage? How much do I invest into that? And prior to that, our wedding anniversaries consisted of movies and maybe, I don't know, burger fuel. Woo, classy. And after I had that conversation with him, I was like, you know, I have invested probably more money into my shoe collection than I have into my wife. And so I changed what I did in that year I, I got some rose petals, I brought some jewellery, I, I went and booked us into the Hilton right down by the waterfront, really expensive room, the most expensive one I could get, took her out to five-star dining, and when she came into the room, there was rose petals all the way in, and there was a rose petal heart on the bed, and the jewellery was right in the middle, and I made a major financial investment that I do now every single year when it comes to our anniversary, except for this year, because COVID kind of destroyed that. But, you know, she can still remember that. She can't remember all the other wedding anniversaries before that one, but she can remember that one. And you know what? Here's, here's a key. All the women block your ears just for a moment. Here's a key, guys. She lived off that investment for a long time. Yeah. Like, there was a deposit in the love bank, and it didn't matter what I did, I never went into debt. <laughs> Come on. 
But it was one conversation on a plane that changed my marriage. You don't understand, you don't realise how much one conversation, one act of love, one smile, one hello has the potential to change somebody's life. Influence isn't always obvious, but influence isn't always instant. But just because you don't see a harvest from what you have sown doesn't mean the seed did not take root. You see that guy on the plane, he doesn't even know me. He doesn't know that what he said, that seed that he planted, changed the way that I do marriage with Trinity. He has no idea. He doesn't understand. He wouldn't have a clue. He, I don't know where he is today. I don't even know what his name was. I can't remember. He is not sitting there in, in, in his chair going, I remember that conversation I had with that young fella 20-something years ago. Wow, what a conversation. He, he wouldn't, it wouldn't even come across his mind. You don't realize the potential that you have to influence others. You have no idea how God might use you in that one moment to plant a seed that will grow into real and lasting influence in the life of somebody that you love. And what I want to show you today as we round off this message is I want to show you a story today of a woman that nobody ever thought should have influence. In fact, this story, it starts off with Jesus deciding to go for a walk, which he normally did from one place to the next with his disciples. But on this occasion, he decided that he was going to pass through Samaria. Now, you can understand that the Jews, even though walking through Samaria was the shortest route to get from A to B when they wanted to go places, the Jews would always walk around Samaria and go the long way. The reason is, is because the, the Samaritans were half Jewish. They weren't full Jewish. They were half Jewish. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, they saw them as lesser people in a way. In fact, they, they kind of um, saw them as they were less than human. In fact, you, you'll know the story where a woman comes to Jesus and asks that he'll come and heal his daughter, and he basically calls her a little dog. That was their nickname that they call the Samaritans. They saw them less than human. They saw them as dogs, and, and you would, he would never interact with a Jewish woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. You know, like just, it just wouldn't happen, but as the story goes on, we find that Jesus comes along. He's getting a little bit tired, so he sits down at a well, and a Samaritan woman comes out to the well at midday, and, and, and the reason why she comes out at midday is we'll find out a little bit later, but I'll tell you now. The reason is because she was with her seventh man now, and she had six husbands previous, and so none of the women in the village really wanted her in and around their husbands or in and around them. So rather than coming out at the cool of the day where it's easier to draw the water from the well and it being easier, she'd come out at midday knowing that none of them would be there and so she wouldn't have to have any awkward glances or any awkward conversations. And so she comes along and Jesus is sitting there and then Jesus says to her, give me something to drink. He's asking for a cup of water. So the first thing that he does here is that he dignifies her by just having a conversation. And this, him speaking to her, completely throws her off guard because one, she's a woman, two, she's a Samaritan, and she's thrown off guard. And it says this in the story, 
in John 4, verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? In other words, why are you even talking to me? Yeah? And he replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water from? So this woman is not only confused, but now she's intrigued, but all she can think about is Jesus doesn't have a bucket to draw this water. She's getting very practical in this moment. Jesus is talking spiritual things and trying to make her understand that he's the well of life, and if she knew him, then she would never thirst in her soul, but she's like, where's your bucket? All right, and so Jesus continues on, and he answered, and he says, everyone, and this is in verse 13, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. In other words, if you drink this water, you're going to need to drink it again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have keep coming here to draw water. She's starting to get the understanding of what's going on. She still thinks it's got something to do with the well, though. But she is basically begging him or saying, please, I, I want this kind of living water that you're talking about. Her spirit is starting to respond. Her, her soul, her, her will and her emotions are tar- starting to respond to what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on and he says here, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. She says, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five, sorry, not six, but five husbands. And you aren't married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You would think so, wouldn't you? So she is starting to get really, really thirsty for this drink that Jesus is talking about. Doesn't quite understand what it is yet. Still thinks it has something to do with the well. And then Jesus basically reads her life to her. There wasn't a Jewish man anywhere that would have interacted with this woman. They just would not have done it. They would have stayed away from her. But Jesus approaches her with love in his heart, yeah, and dignifies her and honors her all the time knowing that she's actually an outcast of the community that she currently lives in. She would have been the woman that everybody whispered about. Keep your, hey, keep your husband away from her. That should be the one that everybody whispered about. Keep your husband away from her. She's nothing but bad news. Don't go near her. Don't have anything to do with her. And Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus knowing all of that, because he knew who she was, knowing all of that, doesn't look at her as the immoral woman that everybody else looked at her as. But instead, he looked at her and saw a miracle waiting to happen. I love that about Jesus. Everybody else saw her as an immoral woman. Everybody else saw her by her actions. But Jesus looks beyond actions to the heart and he says, if I can speak, 
if I can let my light shine, if I can be salt in this situation, she is a miracle. If I can influence her, she is a miracle about to happen. Knowing that if she could that a touch from heaven for her could completely change her heart. And all of a sudden with her, it starts to dawn on her. Because she says, you must be a prophet. But it starts to dawn on her. She, see, the Samaritans had heard the prophecies about the Messiah. They had also, she had also heard the stories of a Jewish man that was raising the dead and healing the sick and opening deaf ears and opening blind eyes and doing miracles. And, and she's probably starting to wonder here, is this the Jewish man that people are speaking about? He, he's showing me respect. He's showing me honor. He knows everything about my life. Perhaps this is the Messiah. Perhaps this is the one that we're waiting for. This is the one that we've been praying for. And it says here that the woman's response to all of this was this. The woman left her water jar beside the well in verse 28 and ran back to the village, telling everyone. Remember, she was hiding at the well. She was ashamed at the well. She was avoiding everybody in the village. And one encounter with Jesus, she runs back to the village and tells everybody. She is going door to door. She is like making Jehovah's Witness look like they're on steroids. You know, she is just knocking on all the doors, telling everybody, come, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming. You know, it didn't say that the people uh, came, it's, came streaming. I don't know about you, but I just get this sense that people just came out of their houses like, heading toward this well. Man, this could be the Messiah. This could be the one. If he's told her everything about her life and she's this excited and she's telling, you know, she's not ashamed anymore. Come, come hear the person that told me everything about my life. You know, all that stuff that you've been talking about behind my back, all that stuff. Come, come hear him. Come hear him. I don't know whether she thought he was going to say, hey, this lady, let me tell you her story in front of all of them. She's just saying, you got to come and hear. And it says that the people came streaming from the village to see him. Streaming. It means that they came crazily out, running out to see Jesus at the well because of this woman. And there's two really powerful things in this story that I think that we've got to see. The first one is this, no matter how bad your life is, no matter how messed up you are, you're not gone too far for the love of God to reach your life. You've never gone too far for the love of God to reach your life. We see this town outcast, the one that everybody else would whisper about, going in and enthusiastically telling people this may be the one. And this broken woman, this messed up woman, the one that had been called the immoral woman, immediately becomes an influencer over her entire village. The one that everybody else had rejected, the one that everybody else had said, oh no, the one that 
the one that everybody thought she'll never make anything of her life. She probably believed that about her life because she was hiding at midday. She was ashamed. She realized what she'd done. She realized that she's probably filled with shame and guilt and all that stuff because of her life. And this woman that everybody else would write off, this woman that said, I could never ever do anything good with my life after one conversation with Jesus becomes an influencer that sees an entire village come to Christ. You are never so bad. You are never so messed up. You are never so far gone that God's love can't reach you and bring you back and make you an influence. In fact, the worse your life is, the more work God does, the bigger the testimony of the miracle that God does when people see you and go, man, I know what your story is. I know how messed up your life is. What's happened to you? And all of a sudden you become an influencer of those that have mocked you because of your past and because of your behaviour. I love it that Jesus uses somebody that nobody else would use. His story shows us that you don't have to have it all together. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have it all together. I don't. There's no one in this building that has it all together. If you do have it all together, come and let me know, and you can become the pastor of the church because you're better than I am. You don't have it all together to influence someone else towards Jesus. You don't have to actually know it all. You don't have to be able to pray those powerful prayers that makes heaven go, wow, that was good. You don't have to even be able to quote scripture 100% correctly. You can even get it wrong and fumble your way through it. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have, it all, don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the things fixed up in your world and then I can become an influencer. That's not how God works. You just have to know who Jesus is and what he has done for you, which is all that this woman knew. I, I don't fully understand. I think he's the Messiah. This is what he said. This is what he did for me. He's given me living water. I, I don't know all the answers. I don't know everything. My life is a mess and it has been a mess, but I know him and I know what he's done just in that one conversation. Are you hearing me today? You just have to know who Jesus is. You just have to care about the people around you. And you can immediately be a light in the world and salt to those around you. You just have to care about people. You don't need 4,000 followers on Instagram or 4,000 friends on Facebook. You just need to care about the one person that's in front of you. And if you do that, you're an influencer. You're influencing people. You're influencing somebody. You don't have to know it all. You just have to let your light shine. You just have to let salt do what salt does. You have no idea how one word of encouragement, one word of hope, one expression of love might influence someone towards Jesus. The disciples finally come back in this story and because they've gone off trying to find food and they get back and they see this crowd of people and the first thing that comes into the disciples' heads because they're just so like us half the time. Have you already eaten, Jesus? This really was their first thing. There's a whole entire village coming out, worshipping him, wanting to give their lives to Jesus and follow God. And their first thought is, have you already eaten? Like some of you right now, it's like, well, I need to eat. And Jesus responds to them and he says this. He says, I tell you, open your eyes. 
Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In Matthew 9, it puts it this way. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, Jesus is saying here that the fields are ripe for harvest, but the influences are few. The influences are few. Here's a statistic for you that may help you. Do you know that 58% of people that don't go to church said that they'll go if their friend asked them to go? but only 3% of Christians actually ever ask someone to come to church. 58% fields are ripe unto the harvest, waiting to be invited, and only 3% do the invite. We need you, God needs you, to be an influencer. Don't let culture rob you from your calling by categorizing influencers as somebody only on social media. It doesn't start with a platform. It starts with a person right in front of you. You are an influencer. And this woman goes back to her town and tells everyone. It says in verse 39, as we finish today and the musicians come, it says this, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. I love that. It says, many from her village believed in Jesus. Why? Because one woman who had influence. One woman who we never ever thought would be the influencer. One woman who was broken. The unlikely woman just said, come and hear somebody who told everything I ever did. Who did God use in this story? He didn't use a celebrity. He didn't use an Instagram star. He didn't use a professional athlete. He didn't use the pastor. He didn't use the godly person. He didn't use the content creator. He just used a regular Every day, broken, sinful woman that had been transformed by Jesus. And you know what? You have influence exactly where you are. And you don't have to have your whole life together to be an influence. Every single one of us are light and salt. Every single one of us. And every single one of us knows people. You know that statistics say this, that even the most reclusive person in the world still has contact with 10,000 people in their lifetime. I said contact. I didn't say friendships. I said contact. But I want you to remember that I had a two-minute contact with someone on a plane that changed my marriage. We all have influence because we all have people in front of us and we all have people around us. And you are the right person in the right place at the right time. Well, I'm the only Christian in my family that's because you're the right person. God got you saved first because you're the right person. I'm the only Christian in my friendship, in my friends group. That's because you're the right person to influence all those others. Not by going around and saying, you filthy rotten sinners. 
you're going to hell. If you do that, I will punch you in the face. Because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, hey, if you come to me, I'll give you a living water, which means that you'll never thirst again. He, he didn't come to judge her. He came to set her free. He says, if you would, if you would hear the story, if, you, if you'd allow the, my light to shine upon you, if you would allow the salt of my life to penetrate for you, you too, you'll find the same Jesus I found, the one who forgives, the one who saves, the one who delivers, the one who transforms, the one who doesn't hold our brokenness and our mess and our past against us, but actually turns around and says, oh, there's a miracle in the making. There's a miracle in the making. There's a miracle in the making. They're not immoral. They're a miracle in the making. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning?